Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, where we discuss practical science and not so common sense to live a life more extraordinary. In this episode, we talk about chronic fatigue and all the ways you unintentionally and sometimes intentionally sabotage yourself and your energy. So let's get started. Here are your co-hosts who are also partners in life and business, Luke and Rachel. All right, here we are again. Welcome back. Today, I wanted to talk more about a classic and ongoing symptom we hear from majority of the clients that come through at the Tailored Clinic. Which I, like, has also been way more prevalent over the last couple of years. Absolutely. With COVID and, yeah. Yeah, which is a build-on of our sleep episode as well as our most notably our stress episode, which was uh, our last one, and that is chronic or ongoing fatigue, which is in reality synonymous usually with chronic stress. And so I want to be able to discuss what this actually is or what some of the the causes may be and explain a little bit of, of why chronic fatigue is sort of this outcome or this main symptom that people experience after long-term stress. Because again, the informal title of this podcast is what we wish our loved ones understood and did. And so when we look around and talk to our own friends and family and the chronic fatigue, the general malaise, the the lack of, of motivation or ongoing exhaustion, yeah, absolutely. And this is also a really good time to, uh, if you haven't already, take a step back and go to our previous podcast uh, where we talked about stress and, you know, the four kind of categories of stress, which really do fall within inside the four pillars as well um, for the most part. But yeah, definitely go back, review that if you haven't already. Um, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper today into kind of more mechanisms, but not going too deep into that because this is trying to keep things simple and actionable um, so we can really unpack and help you be the best human you can be. One thing that I I, I think is really key here is us us providing the encouragement to be curious. We call it bio-curiosity at Tailored. And it's like you are the most fascinating individual for yourself on the planet. Like, And this is the only body you'll ever have. So the more you can get really curious about what's going on and how that body and that mind and interconnectedness or not is interfacing in the world – Knowing and understanding that little ecosystem that you walk around with every single day is probably the most powerful thing that you could do, and that will serve you for the rest of your life. And and so we try to stress bio-curiosity um, with everything that, that we do, including this podcast. And so going through those stresses, again, I'm not, we've already done quite a lot of work with the stress uh, discussion. What I'd love to talk about are kind of the hidden stresses. Like everybody knows, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I feel so stressed. I've got this report due. You know, my kids are being a pain. I've got to drop off all this, you know, this, the stuff to my boss or I'm stuck in traffic. Like that's your classic day-to-day stress, which comes under the perceived mental emotional stress. And people aren't necessarily great at that. And we talked more about that in the last podcast, uh, but it's at least something that people can plug into once they give themselves the time, the space to do so. We, we also can acknowledge environmental stress, which is interesting, but it's sometimes hard to notice unless you're literally writing down, what are you exposing your body to? But what I want to talk most about today is metabolism Hmm. stress. 
because people don't really understand the inner workings of the human body, hence our passion for biocuriosity. And so tell me more about metabolism stress. Can we can we get into that a little bit more today? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's it really comes down to are you nourishing your system? Are you giving your body what it needs? And I think we've since the transition to the 21st century, uh, we've just gradually just chipped away at what our body is designed to function on because we've gone to a more processed, more refined nature of eating because uh, it's all about quick uh, convenience and no time, no hassle, just get in uh, and actually, and I suppose the other thing is not just convenience, but taste. So we've got so many, like there's, it's actually a science now. People have spend their time and effort on how do I make something taste absolutely amazing that is extremely addictive and just they don't care about anything else no nutritional value no nothing like that it is how do I make this so tasty and addictive they come back for more because at the end of the day it's about the bottom dollar they want to sell more and so I remember having one of our clients come in with a like a protein bar that they love to eat and it's super convenient and they're like, okay, I'm getting my protein. It says it's got like antioxidants. It says it's got all these wonderful things, um, zero sugar, et cetera, et cetera, on the front. And so they're thinking, yeah, I'm doing some great things, but what happened when you had a look at the ingredients list? Yeah, and the, I think that's one of the issues is often the healthy foods, the, the gluten-free foods, the, you know, the dairy-free foods, you know, where they've got all the, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, yeah. um, your five stars. Zero sugar. Yeah, there's so many things they can get in there that fit underneath those brackets that, and because they have to substitute these things, they have to find other things to replace it with. And often it is a lot of fillers and stabilizers and oils that are extremely toxic and what we'll get into today is, yes, sugar is bad and um, in excess, right? But it's not the worst thing. There's many things that I believe are much worse than sugar. And probably the key thing that I find in a lot of these processed foods, these convenience foods, these addictive foods, is PUFAs, so polyunsaturated fats. So that is your vegetable oils, your canola, your... Sunflower, you know, safflower, safflower, yeah. So you kind of your vegetables, seed oils, you know. <laughs> I, I remember it must be about the nineties or early two thousands. McDonald's did this massive campaign when they moved to canola oil that it was, you know, the healthy alternative, and it's going to, you know, help everyone be so much healthier because saturated fat is the worst thing in the world, and you know we need to be having poofers uh, or polyunsaturated fats. You know the um, yeah, toxic canola oil, and it is so bad for us. Mm. So the, the most simplest way we can put it is you've got your omega-3s that everyone will probably be familiar with is your kind of fish oils, right? And then you have the vegetable oils, which are omega-6. So you can think about omega-3s as anti-inflammatory and omega-6s as inflammatory. So we already live, as we've kind of discussed, a very inflammatory life in the way of uh, the way we eat, the way we live, the way we, um, the environment we live in, you know, these stresses on stress on top of stress. Which creates inflammation. Which creates inflammation. So therefore, we don't need more inflammation in our diet. Mm. But yet, in all processed foods, just about, like I would say a good 90 to 95% of processed foods have these oils. And in a lot of the healthy foods, like 
I challenge everybody to have a look at the ingredients list. And I bet for the majority of your favorite products that are processed and convenient. And supposed to be healthy. And supposed to be healthy. Even the ones that are supposed to be healthy, but especially the unhealthy ones. I can 90 to 95% of the time, I can guarantee that there is going to be these polyunsaturated fats. So, you know, the sunflower and vegetable oils. Which the canola oil is big. So usually like the top three. And yeah. often not on these ingredients lists, there will yeah. be some type of oil like that. Yeah, and this is when you are starting to look at these ingredients lists, that's the important thing to remember is the order of it. Firstly, when we look at an ingredients list, can you pronounce it? And is it something that your grandparents ate? If two of those things you can't do, forget about it. Like you shouldn't be eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's got a whole bunch of numbers, run. <laughs> because these are all these things that our body is not designed to process. You know, these are new things to our body. We've gone through series upon series of evolutions and what we're doing is unheard of. Like we're just chucking in all these artificial um, stabilizers and things just to help it with shelf life. Our body's not designed to process these foods. And essentially what happens is as these come into our gut, they, they just damage it. The epithelial cells are just, the junctions are just opening up and allowing all the food coming from our um, our gut, essentially, into our bloodstream, which is creating an inflammatory response where we're just getting inflammation because what is happening is all the, not only is the good stuff coming into our body, into our bloodstream as it should, because that's what these junctions are designed for, that's allowed, allowed the good stuff to come through. But because we've... We're damaging these junctions, we're making them bigger. The things that are not supposed to be getting through, the pathogens, you know, the toxins, are just all coming through and getting into our blood cells, which is causing an immune response, which is causing inflammation and um, making people, yeah, tired and exhausted and, yeah. I want to rewind a bit because what you said, which just nailed it, is there's all these new things right? New things that just aren't sort of made for our bodies to be able to uh, process in really streamlined ways. And they're certainly far from the natural world. And so, okay, when our body is exposed to new things, particularly things that aren't supposed to be there, what do we typically call that? Artificial. (laughs) Artificial, yeah. What I'm trying to get to is your body wants to fight it. It doesn't know what it is. It's like, okay, I've never seen this thing before. Clearly, you know, it's something that could be a threat or it might be safe. I'm unsure. But the the safest thing for me to do as a body response is attack it Mm. because it's not supposed to be there. And what do we usually think is what our body attacks? Usually new viruses, um, cold strains, infection, uh, whatever it might be, right? It's like if it's new and it doesn't recognize it, your body will create an immune response. And an immune response is a process, a cascade of signaling that your body undergoes. Firstly, there's a recognition. Okay, this thing is new. I don't recognize it. What is it? And then cell signaling will start. Okay, there's something new. Let's get, let's get the army over here because you know what? We might need to fight something off. And so that whole process of your cell signaling danger or an alert to the remaining cells creates this entire inflammatory cascade. 
and getting white blood cells involved. The white blood cells communicate. And so you can just imagine when you get all this new stuff into your body that your body doesn't recognize, it creates an immune and inflammatory response. Which again, if this is a virus, if this is something that's normally very harmful to, to life and life-threatening, this is the correct response. But when it's to food and everyday food that we, do, we don't mentally perceive as dangerous, our body perceives it as that almost every single time. Okay. And so that chronic inflammation, that chronic, that chronic immune response is depleting. I mean, your body is trying to fight something. Can you imagine how fatigued soldiers would be every single day if every single day they had to go on the battlefield trying to fight this this thing. Hmm. Gosh, you know what? No wonder we're so goddamn tired because our body's busy trying to fight something every day when it doesn't need to because we're voluntarily putting it into our bodies. And then it's got to try to figure out normal bodily function too. Yeah, so it's like chopping your way through thick bush right like <laughs> you're having to really force your way through life because instead of you know walking down the path you're you're bushwhacking <laughs> mm. yeah and i want to get in my mitochondria so mitochondria are the little energy creation powerhouses in each cell they are remarkable little organelles um or 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 packages within a cell that that create atp which is the energy currency of the body but what's fascinating is there's this really cool um, concept that that uh, uh, was researched and published uh, a, a couple of decades ago, uh, and it's around a cell signaling process within the mitochondria. So the mitochondria, as a little powerhouse that sits in, sits in the cell, is able to sense danger or sense threat. And when it senses threat, danger, or an invader, it will release ATP out of the cell and into the what's called the extracellular matrix, which is the kind of the broth that the cell sits in. And when it when it basically floods that the the ATP, the energy currency outside of the cell, it works to signal all the other cells that there's an invader, that something's going wrong. It's like it's like the little soldier sentinel saying, oh my goodness, something's happening. I need to get my friends here because I need to fight something. And so when the mitochondria floods or, or ejects all the energy currency outside of the cell into the cellular, extracellular space, your actual cell itself loses all of its energy currency to do its normal cellular function. And if your mitochondria gets continually triggered around this ongoing inflammation response, ongoing stress response, it keeps flooding this extracellular space with ATP, which means your cells just are fatigued all the time. They simply don't have the energy currency to do their job. And so this chronic inflammation, this chronic stress, and whatever category you want to call it, but in, in this, in this um, category of metabolism, that's why we're so damn tired all the time because the mitochondria get stuck in this inflammation alert response which then drains all the energy from our from the rest of our cells. So yeah, stress is, as we mentioned in our previous episode, is ubiquitous, right? Like it goes across, it doesn't matter where the stress is coming from, it's responding in the body in the same way. And before I kind of jump into the next topic, you know, like without ATP, we would die in seconds. Like that's how important ATP is to our life. And you're just continually depleting your, your energy, like a life force really, you know, like because ATP is everything to our life. Uh, if we want to function, it's in every cell. 
So we've been talking about metabolic stress, but many of these stresses will respond in the same way. And it's going to dis it's going to dysregulate or create dysfunction in our hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axes, or HBA axis for short. And you know, just to kind of break that down, a hypothalamus is obviously in our brain, um, and that houses our suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is, you can think about it as your master clock, you know, when we talked about sleep and the uh, regulation of that circadian rhythm, that is the part in your brain that regulates that. And, you know, it's what identifies light coming in, it is what identifies, you know, food or anything that you're kind of doing to dysregulate your circadian rhythm. So it is extremely important. And then uh, pituitary, you know, that's releasing of uh, hormones. Uh, and then, you know, it's just on that axis, the adrenal axis. So it's talking about your stress. So in particular, that cortisol acts upon this axis. And you've probably heard the term adrenal fatigue, um, which, you know, we can talk about. It's quite synonymous, but it's not technically correct because in the, in the language of adrenal fatigue is saying that the adrenals are actually fatigued. In HBA axis dysfunction, which is more clinically correct, it is actually not a, um, a weakness of the adrenals to be able to produce uh, stress hormones. Because they can pump those out. Oh, they can pump those out. And they're good at pumping those yeah, out, yeah. Uh, especially in 21st century living because we're just living in this heightened state of stress upon stress. We're continually running away from lions, kind of as we discussed in the previous episode. So, yeah, so it's important to understand regardless of where that stress comes from, if it's metabolism, uh, mental, emotional, environmental, lifestyle, it's going to respond in that same way. And so it's dysregulation of this axis, which is going to impact your sleep, because as we talked about in, I think, both the sleep and the stress episode, is, you know, your circadian rhythm is going to be off balance because this axis acts so, so intertwined with stress. And it's incredibly impacted by inflammation. Mm. So... Like mentioned, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you start kind of creating these stressful environments, the stress creates inflammation. The inflammation then acts upon the the hypothalamus and suppresses how it works. Then you've got kind of you know impact to to hormones, and it's like again self-fulfilling prophecy. So, what often happens, like you mentioned in today's twenty-first century living, is the the sheer amount of input, the sheer amount of metaphorical lions we're running away from creates this dysfunction where essentially your body is in a state of fight, flight, fawn, freeze, whatever it is, but it's a state of absolute alert. And so once these cascades and these little circuits are propagated, it's really hard to stop the circuit from repeating or the program from, from running on cycle, like the mitochondria is like, it'll keep pumping out that ATP to tell, tell the rest of the cells that it's in trouble until there's kind of a break in the chain. The break in the chain is not a light switch. Yeah. It's a process. And I think this is where we need to come into the bell curve of, you know, burnout and exhaustion. Uh, so, you know, with everything, you know, it's, it's not a switch, right? Our body is an orchestra, like we've talked about many times, and it's going to regulate itself many ways. And there's this stress bell curve that we can imagine. We'll put it up on the screen and probably put it in the show notes as well. So for those that are watching can see it and those that are listening can view it later in the show notes. But essentially the bell curve is just this increasing level of stress. So as we kind of go towards the apex of that stress um, or that peak of that stress, you know, we our body has the ability to respond to that. It's kind of what we refer to as the kind of green to the orange level. And uh, in the green, it's, it's in a great spot. That's the hormetic, uh, hormetic stress. Uh, so where, you know, 
it's good enough where the body can bounce back and respond. When you're starting to go to orange, it's starting to go into that, it's pushing the limits a little bit, you're overreaching, you can still come back if you have give yourself enough time to recover and respond to it and um, address that stress stack that you have. But as, as it tips past that apex and starts to drop again, and that's when we're really coming into the kind of burnout kind of triggers and where it's getting a lot harder to come back from. You're going to need some more substantive rest and then going right down towards that bottom of that bell curve where we're just burnt out. We've got Completely nothing out, yeah. and we just need a full time off. So like it is really important to understand that, you know, where you sit on this bell curve and how you respond to that is the key thing. Um, do you really need to take serious action or can you uh, respond to it? Yeah, and we talked about riding the wave between performance and recovery before. Where if we can stay into that kind of green-orange sort of zone where it's like, yeah, your body is growing, you are pushing a little bit, but you're able to take your foot off the pedal a bit to be able to provide time to recover. What we often see at Tailored Health Clinic is when people are kind of way into sort of the, the far right red where the, the pressure has gone on for so long and the stress has been so chronic. They've got to a point where they're just absolutely burnt out. Uh, they've got nothing left in the bucket. And so people look to us to say, okay, what can I do? What quick wins? We can certainly give them some quick wins, but when you're at that place, it takes time to wind things back and get yourself into a place of recovery. Like you mentioned, is this so bad that you need to take time off? Is it so bad that you need to start getting some serious help or like what we do is we start to, to look at diagnostics because then we can be way more targeted around exactly what is going on in your body and where your body currently is so we can be more effective with the supplements that, that we prescribe as well as the actual type of lifestyle interventions that are a requirement of getting yourself back from that place. Yeah, plus if you've gone to that point, you're so much closer to disease, so we really need to interact sooner rather than later. So it's actually at a point of serious time that we need to address it ASAP. Mm. So we need to really, you know, identify early enough what is the underlying causes for this individual. Are we seeing it in the, the blood? Are we seeing it in the gut? Are we, you know, where is this inflammation sitting? Where is the stress sitting in the body? So we can work to mitigate that as quick as possible before it leads into the inflammatory diseases that we do not want to deal with. Yeah. And the bell-shaped curve looks different insofar as how much pressure exerts the same kind of stress or perceived alertness of their immune system or, or how their body is responding to that stress. So uh, when the, the bell curve is the same general shape, but where it kind of sits on that axis is different. And that, that leads into genetics. So some people genetically have the type of variance in their gene code that makes inflammation or chronic stress more important to address sooner because it has more impact because of the way that their their base code of their body is able to respond to it than others. And so this is where we bring up between the two of us. Mm. So, you know, we've done, we've been on this journey for about three to five years. Um, you heck of a lot longer than me generally, but more acutely around clinical diagnostics. We really started around three, four years ago. And so one thing we noted from a genetic perspective, we have many gene variants that are similar, but we're quite different on the inflammatory pathway, which may or may not have quite big implications to your Elos, Elos Danlos prognosis. Uh, but 
also means that from a recovery perspective, we have quite a different experience. Yeah, and you know, this has been a key thing for me, and it's, it's something I wish I knew at the start of my journey. So I found all this through the, the slow process of uh, self-experimentation and you know, elimination, removing things, playing around with things. Obviously, there were some uh, clinical diagnostics in the early days, but it wasn't really going down to the deep levels that we've gone down to now and the more targeted precision nature of it. But God, I wish I had this knowledge then. Um, like, for example, you know, with the mold toxicity that I had, you know, that was causing chronic inflammation. Uh, it took a while to address. So obviously, I did clinical diagnostics, which eventually uh, identified that. And that was through what? What type of diagnostics did you do at that point in time? Uh, so through that time, I think it was stool and then just my- mycotoxin testing. Um, and then coming into, you know, the gut health issues, you know, I did IgG and could see that I had a, because <laughs> IgG is an immune response, right? Yeah, IgG is the immunoglobulin G, yeah. Yeah. which is one of the types of immunoglobulins or um, IgA immunity type things that your body secretes and uses yeah. to attack things. Yeah, and IgA is like a celiac response, right? Um, so there's different levels to it. So an IgG is a slow immune response, where an IgA is like an instant kind of response. And so I identified, you know, those things um, early on. But then, you know, it wasn't until I did the genetics later on where I, I connected the dots and it made so much more sense. And in particular for my training, which I, again, through problem solving, I managed to figure out what worked for me. I, I noticed that I wasn't recovering as quick as anyone else when I was doing Ironman. Like, I would do a big training session and I'd need time to recover where, you know, the people that I'd join on the session were the same fitness level, Everything, they'll be back at it, easy. Um, but for me, I just learned it was putting me further and further into the ground and I was starting to see that through my um, my metrics and my wearables, but I didn't have any reason to understand why that was and I just, I mean, it's individual I guess, but what, what is it that's individual? And it wasn't until I did the genetics to identify my inflammation pathways, I just tapped. <laughs> they were very squeaky. Very, they're very squeaky. So... It doesn't mean that that's necessarily being expressed, but from what I was seeing uh, through my metrics and everything else, I was like, okay, for me, I think this is definitely being expressed, and I've since done further diagnostics to identify, yeah, it's definitely being expressed. Um, so yeah, inflammation for me is uh, something that I really need to um, yeah mitigate. Yeah, um, we'll be doing a whole episode on genetics, but just for people to understand a little bit better, we get one, so there's, there's always two letters, so to speak, that we get. Uh, for specific gene segments, um, which code for certain things. Uh, now, it's a, it's a long string of these letters that pair together, uh, and we have two copies of these specific genes. One comes from our mum and one comes from our dad. Now, depending on exactly which gene construct you have, you might have a letter shift or change uh, that puts your enzyme or the, or the protein that's coded from this gene into a slightly less active or less efficient state. So, for example, a native gene um, variant for that codes for a specific thing might function normally in, in the statistical variants of human reference. So actually, um, my, my, my code for this particular gene is a normal variant. It functions just as well as everybody else who has that normal gene variant, and it's optimal for sort of the, the human species. However, if you've got a switch to a specific letter that creates a gene variant that, that works less effectively, that it impacts how your body is able to function with that specific gene 
that that codes for. So it's a bit squeakier. We call it squeakier. So it's like you've got a really squeaky cog in your engine that doesn't work as well as other people. Which can be, once you understand that, can be supported. Correct. Uh, through lifestyle, supplementation, um, nutritionally, like... So it either supports that specific cog or there might be a different cog that is complementary to, to that main one that if you can get that greased and working really, really well can overcome sort of the predisposition or the issue that you might be experiencing because of your, your unique genetic code. Yep. And so when we look at our inflammatory pathways, uh, you know, you've got a couple of gene changes uh, and a gene variant that means that your body's ability to navigate inflammation halt or to stop inflammation is affected. So when your inflammation gets started, it's like this wheel that keeps spinning. It's like the inflammation pathways are exacerbated and it's harder for your body to stop the inflammation. And so that's why you have hard time recovering more so than someone who doesn't have that specific gene variant set. Um, And that's why you need to do more things to help improve how other functions work or how that main function works. Yep. And so we definitely see that when we're training. So when we're doing resistance training or whatever, uh, I seem to bounce back a lot faster than you, which I know gives you such frustration sometimes. <laughs> but that's because we understand that that is, a, that is a squeakiness in your pathway. But we also now have supplementation regimes that help support that channel for you. Yep. And also just understanding from a lifestyle perspective that I need to periodize my training or structure my training in a way that is aware of that. So like I got to that point towards Ironman where, you know, like I mentioned, I was instead of doing the 20 to 30 hours, I was trying to do it in 10 to 15 hours and just being really effective around the training that I did because that was one of the key reasons was inflammation is a key issue for me. And it's, I was just doing, you know, uh, red, red training, like training the red zone, which is just not helpful. You know, my body's just deteriorating instead of, you know, actually improving and growing stronger. So mm-hmm. I needed to allow my body to do what it does best and focus on the recovery component more so than others. Yeah. So how would someone outside of diagnostics know that they have inflammation? Yeah, so there's a number of symptoms or symptomology that you can kind of identify with. And they all kind of relate to different things. And it's 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 pointing a finger, but it's, it's not a, you know, it's a definite, you know. So you got things like a blocked or um, runny nose, you've got uh, just inflammation in your joints, you have headaches, you've got um, bloating or distension, you have fatigue as we've talked about. Yeah, all of these kind of things lead to uh, stress and inflammation. Mm. Or at least they read they read what stress and inflammation is happening in your body. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so that's often when when we're seeing people in clinic is that we're on the lookout for mm. for when you can just tell that they've got a lot of congestion going on or their mouth breathing, which yeah. means perhaps they can't even access air through their nose generally. Uh, and then we also notice things like um, you know, carrying belly fat, for yep. example, or people who just can't seem to lose weight. That's common for higher cortisol or high levels of stress and high chronic inflammation. We also see, you mentioned bloating. Some people have issues with their gut, whether they just, they, it's hard to pass stool or they've got smelly gas, uh, or generally feel unrest when they eat things. Um, and so that's more on the, the subjective side. When we're looking at, okay, how do we confirm 
that there is inflammation or chronic stress that's affecting their their overall health. What are we looking at there? Yeah, so there is a number of ways in which we can kind of explore that. So going from blood work to kind of looking at, you know, is there uh, inflammation in the gut? Um, So there's a number of streams in which we can do. And obviously taking a step back to look at genetics, as we've already discussed, so we can look at, you know, is there squeaky genetic pathways that we need to be aware of that we may be seeing it being expressed. But oftentimes it's good to, you know, start with the low-hanging fruit, which would be the blood work. Um, So blood work, there's a number of, uh, there's about three kind of things that we want to be looking for. So we have our CRP, um, our ESR, and our PV. So these are three kind of uh, blood tests you can kind of get done that are going to look at different things to identify inflammation inside your system. So CRP is that kind of acute response. So when we're talking about acute and chronic, this is that short-term response. So this is going to pick up really quickly and should drop away within about a week or so. Um, Then your ESR, that is more of a slower, gradual incline. So this is coming into more that kind of chronic um, and then your PV, that's looking at the viscosity of um, your blood. So how thick is that blood? Is there things moving around in there that's making it a bit slower? So it's like, are you, are you, is your body swimming in, in um, oil or is it swimming in water? Yeah. Because <laughs> again, if, if your viscosity is, is that high, it makes it hard for the right, right types of reactions to happen, for oxygen transfer and things like that. And so you know, going to your GP or your physician, and talking to them about how you're feeling, and they're requesting those three particular tests in conjunction with any that they are, else that they feel is, is important um, would be a really fast way to clinically assess your overall inflammation and, and stress. Yeah, and then kind of going to gut testing as well. Uh, so, you know, doctors can do basic kind of gut testing um, so that they can look at key things. I haven't done too much through them because I generally like to do more of a comprehensive uh, view of my gut and understanding a bit more than just the kind of pathogens or uh, inflammation markers because I want to know, you know, my diversity. I want to know exactly what's going on in the gut. But uh, generally, I, I believe that the doctors you should be able to request this, um, especially if they agree that there's an issue going on. There's definitely like a chronic disease or autoimmune issue that is all inflammation related. But they can look at things like calprotectin, um, which is an inflammation response in the um, gut, uh, and also secretory IgA is a, you know, um, another uh, inflammation in the in the gut. The marker. Yeah. Yeah, and general mucus yeah, generally. General mucus, yeah. yeah. You just touched on autoimmune. Yep. Okay. Sorry to interject here, but autoimmune is what happens when your immune system gets so dysregulated because of chronic stress that is not stopped. And so the, the, the increase in autoimmune disease, again, is just chronic inflama- inflammation that your body cannot seem to stop by itself. And it's just a cascade where it starts attacking itself. Yep. So that's, that's like the peak of immune overregulation um, or inflammatory uh, chronic inflammation. And like, I think everyone would agree it's prolific. Like it seems to be the end thing. Everyone has an autoimmune disease. You know, let's just look at any school. How many autoimmune uh, kids do we have that, you know, can't eat uh, gluten, peanuts, you know, like the list goes on of the foods they can't eat. At such a young age, that was just unheard of. And it's not just because diagnostics have got better and we can identify these things. These were not issues back in the early, like when we were young as much. Like there were some issues because it was, the uh, 21st century living was done to take impact on us, mm. but 
nothing to the level that it is today. And that's just due to the environment in which we're living in, but also us as parents as well and what we're passing down to our kids and what we're what are eating while pregnant and you know all these things are passing down to the next generation and that's why we're seeing so many more autoimmune diseases and it's it's scary i'm mm. i'm really worried um yeah because their bodies are already oversensitized yeah. generally to all the stimulation all this information overload and then you add on uh, foods that may have a, t- a type of trigger which then again creates inflammation to those foods and so uh, a food allergy or or intolerance or um, you know severe reaction itself isn't necessarily what's causing the the main problems with um, IgA IgG yeah, response. Symptoms. It's the fact that the whole body is so oversensitized generally, even before you add in the food from that environmental condition, that that's creating more overall allergies at schools. Yeah, yeah, and that's just like yeah, it's one of the symptoms, right? Like. You know, food sensitivities or intolerances or allergies is just a symptom. Yeah. It's not the root cause. And that's where I think people need to ask the question of like, why is this happening? And then try and get back to that root and really unwind these things. But how to desensitize the entire system Mm. rather than just look to the food that they're that's that's the end product allergy yeah and then the same thing with like we're talking about kids sensory issues as well as another key thing which is again is inflammatory as well um because you know your brain's not functioning as it should because we're having all these sensory input issues which again we will definitely cover in the oh future. i can't wait to talk about that <laughs> so we talked about how you could use stool testing to assess secretory iga and uh, calpro- calprotectin calprotectin now We've touched on now allergies or IgG, IgA testing. So that's another option that you can do where we're a big proponent of blood spot testing. We talked about hair testing in the last episode. Uh, I did my master's thesis in hair testing generally, not with allergies, but with other types of encapsulated molecules in, in in the bloodstream. I'm not a big fan of hair testing for allergies myself until I see more quantified uh, actual evidence suggests that it's that it's accurate, um, but we do find blood spot testing, the full 184 foods, where it looks at subfood groups too, is really powerful to understand what's going on there as well. Yeah, and taking with a grain of salt and understanding that if you're not eating a food, you're not going to get a response to it. Yeah. If you're overeating a food, you're probably going to get a response to it. Uh, so it's just, you know, that's where interpretation by a clinician is really important. Yeah, so um, it's just indicative of yeah. a current and likely short-term issue, um, which can be overcome. Yep. Yep. Okay. So what else would we be looking at potentially to assess stress on a diagnostic perspective? Yeah. So we've kind of already alluded to it, um, but genetics. Um, So obviously with my genetic pathways, these are things I wish I knew prior to because now I know how I can um, change my lifestyle and supplement to help support these squeaky systems yeah, and we're not talking about genetics to see if you've got part spanish or, oh, yeah. or part Maori in it. like this yeah. isn't ancestry stuff this is clinical genetics that are looking at the main genes that are used for general functional aspects of your body yep um we're again we're big fans we use blood spot testing uh we have quite a comprehensive um test that we use from a, an incredible lab, lab in South Africa, and it's trying to get the right kind of lab with the right type of um, what they call gene panels or, or chips that report on actionable gene variants rather than sort of inflammatory gene variants where you know, perhaps 
clinically there's not much you can do to help overcome the issue or there's been no proof that this gene corresponds to this outcome. Yeah, so they are the kind of key kind of markers I will generally be looking at from a simplistic standpoint and then it's just, yeah, trying to to marry those things up with the stresses in their life and, you know, the subjective nature of everything that's going on. And yeah. So the benefit of clinical diagnostics isn't just about is it there? Because once we know is it there and we know what it's potentially stemming from, especially if it's all upstream to genetics, we can sort of start to figure out how to solve for that. But I think it's also opening the eyes of the person. Yeah. Because we've talked about the stress. It, it's either perceived or it's not. And there are many of many categories that we've talked about that aren't necessarily perceived. And if people aren't necessarily plugging their brains back into their body or their, their three brains together, like we talked about in the in the previous episode, they have no clue what's going on. Yeah, and I think that's like, you know, this to assess inflammation in itself, right? Like, is the inflammation in the system the markers I've talked about so far? But there's things inside the body that can be also be seen through diagnostics, which we know with your, your story and my story, to be honest, like, um, you know, parasites in the gut is another perfect example of things that diagnostics can assess that is going to cause inflammation because they're, they're nasty buggers. They're literally, they're just leeching on you. Um, and I know we're going to have some interesting conversations around yours as we kind of go to unpack that. Like, um, but yeah, for me, I've had them in the past as well. I've also had candida, um, yeah, which is like a yeast overgrowth, which feeds on sugar, right? And, so, <laughs> and, then, and then it signals to your body, let's eat more sugar. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I want to I survive because yes. <laughs> it's only caring about its life. So it's trying to take over the rest of your body um, so it can thrive. Mm, yeah. And so as I mentioned, once we start to provide a little bit of evidence to our clients uh, that shows they've got this chronic inflammation, oftentimes that's helpful for us for them to infer changes. Like sometimes we just need the proof to say, actually, yeah, this is what's going on in our body. And then this is how we're able to, to solve for that and to give them the right kind of motivation to implement the one thing yeah. that then layers upon multiple things to get them into a better place. But that doesn't happen overnight either. No. I think with a lot of our clients being kind of those A-type personalities that are just really driven and you know, want want to see change, like it's good to have a baseline metric of knowing where you're at. And once you actually see it, it's actually real. It's not in my head. It's like, okay, I can see the data. And now I know I can change that data. Uh, it's, it's really powerful. And I know for myself, it's what I needed. And it's what I work best on is when I have data. Um, okay, cool. I guess I can work on. It also helps you feel like you're not being gaslighted. Yeah. So I think the thing that a lot of people feel is they'll go to a, a, a physician, a doctor. Again, no offense to that industry because they've got 10, 15 minutes to see people. Yeah, it's a system. That's it's, a, it's a system. Uh, and these people got into the business, the profession to help. So it's mm. like it's just the system that makes it hard for, for you know preventative medicine and real precision medicine. But it's nice to actually have data that says, I'm, it's not just me. Like mm. it's not just all in my head. Granted, there are conditions in which there can be, yeah. um, you know, psychosomatic elements where you know what you think over and over and over again creates almost a placebo effect, or makes you think that that you're experiencing certain things, which do create symptoms. But for the most part, not feeling like you're going crazy is actually such 
a weight off people's shoulder and a stress in itself. Like if you just think, I don't know what's wrong with me. People keep telling me I'm fine. My blood results say I'm fine. Something's wrong. I'm not getting answers. That in itself is a stress. And that's the clients that we deal with, right? Generally, people that come to see us is either looking for the top end where they're looking to really fine tune their performance or they've just been failed by the medical system and they're just frustrated because they're, they're much like myself, you know, you're just searching and searching for answers and everyone's just like, you're fine, you know, like your blood's, you're good, you're in a healthy ranges. And then you're dragging yourself out the door. Yeah, dragging yourself out the door because they're just looking at such a small spectrum and it's the normative data. It's not the optimal data. It's like, are you clinically diseased? No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not my way of good. Yeah. I want to be, you know, performing at an optimal level and I think oftentimes people come to find us not just to be optimal but just to be functioning and feeling happy and have energy to enjoy their life because too often they're just so tapped they can't enjoy their family or they just want to disconnect and distract themselves mm. and so yeah it's it's a common thing for us is you know it's not just that top end looking for that fine tuning is they just want answers. Mm. And to get those answers, we need to take a deep dive into the diagnostics and look at things that nobody else is looking at. We're even sort of having people sit down and work through those four pillars and then with a subset of those specific stress categories where they actually do sit there and reflect, okay, what what is happening in my life and how am I feeling that exacerbates how I'm how you know my symptoms, whether I'm generally fatigued or if I'm having problems with my moods or whatever it might be. Having people do that and being biocuriosity being biocurious is is actually really key and it's free. So let's think about okay, we 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 get a sense that perhaps we're overly stressed or we have inflammation because we've got some of the symptoms that that you've already talked about. Or perhaps they've done diagnostics and uh, they've, they've assessed, yep, that there's some information going on. What are the key ways in which they can help diffuse or to calm down the system? So, yeah, firstly, getting the investigator head on, right? Like, it's, it's going to be different for every individual. So, as you said, sitting down, it's free. Assess it. What's going on? And my where, where is my stress? Is it mental and emotional? Is it metabolism? Is it lifestyle? Is it environmental? Where is the stress? And we'll actually put together a work, a little worksheet yep. that you'll be able to find in the in the show notes by the time this goes live. And that can help kind of answer some of these questions for you in a really, you know, clear and systematic way. Yeah, and then it's finding the low-hanging fruit, really. So what is going to really move the dial? What is making a significant amount of stress? That is easy to remove. Where, where am I going to start? You know, what is that low-hanging fruit for you? And, and that one thing. And that one thing, which is the next <laughs> thing I was about to follow up with. You know, there's going to be a commonality throughout our podcast. One thing. Start with one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, whatever that one thing is for you, that's where you need to start and, you know, build upon that. You know, it's just, it's just a stacking process. Just like that stress stack, you need to have that recovery stack. So, yeah, it's like, again, it's hard to give answers to that without, you know, knowing the individual case. Um, but if we're talking about doing it free and um, you can, you know, it's all the things you can just get your investigator hat on and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I would hazard to say the first place to start, which has far reaching impact on our fundamental, mm. is stress management. Oh, yes, yeah, very good point, yeah. The reason why I don't say sleep first 
is because if you're sitting there and your brain is crunched to sawdust thinking about all the things that's going on in your life and you can't breathe right, you can't think right, you're, you're looking to TV or other things to escape because you're so stressed out of your mind, it's really hard to make good sleep decisions. Yep. How do you so. create the space between action and response? Yeah, that that's... I think that was your like your take home message or our take home message from our last episode, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. And so again, while my default would be to get sleep, the practical outlier of that is if we can get the stress and the ability to navigate that first, then sleep comes becomes a, an easier thing to tackle, wouldn't you say? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So and then this just takes a step back to our previous podcast where we talked about stress and all the strategies that we outlined there. So again, make sure you go back and listen to that. But we're talking about again, they're all free strategies for the most part, which was looking at breath work, looking at uh the way in which you activate your eyes, um, and just down regulating that sympathetic system, really coming to that rest and digest that parasympathetic system. Uh, yeah, so there's very easy free strategies you can do to kind of really impart that. One thing we have not talked about, but I think we will in the future episodes, is also making sure that from the, the lifestyle decisions you are actually making, that you're not constantly eroding your values when you make them. So we've talked about boundaries and boundary creep, but it's also uh, generally the things that you choose to accept in your life. So uh, it is work. Are you not saying no? to work that really you, you, you just don't have time for? Do you need to start implementing new tools where you say to your manager, yes, I can do that, but what else on this list of tasks that I have that you've given me do I need to deprioritize because I can't do them all with the same amount of effort within the same degree of time? And so it's really looking at the decisions you're making every day that make your stress worse and what boundaries you're crossing around how much you can viably do without crossing over to that overstressed place to be able to say no to the right things. Yeah, and then like as we talk about with metabolism stresses, not having those foods that are going to trigger you. So getting away those poofers as we talked about, those polyunsaturated fats, those canola oils, the sunflowers, the vegetable, the seed oils, really removing those or at least reducing those from our diet as much as possible and the easiest way to do that is to move to whole foods, replace the processed foods because you'll, like again, I said 90 to 95% of the foods, if not more, to be honest, is going to have those oils in there as one of the first ingredients too. And in the show notes, what we'll do is we'll put a link to a list of PUFAs, so P-U-F-A, a polyunsaturated fatty acids. So if you're looking at the ingredients list of some of your favorite foods, if you find some of those as one of the top three or four or just the in there in general. Well, like, in there in general is yeah. always going to make it worse. But if you look at many of the times, it's the top three or four, mm. which is horrifying because there's more of that than there is the actual substance you're eating. Yeah. Uh, what, what I love is like when you start looking at ingredients, like I remember there was um, a uh, coconut uh, milk we were getting, right? Yeah, it's our, yeah, it's our favorite coconut milk for yeah. frothing of our coffees. Yeah, because we had like, we'd go, we'd go to a cafe and we'd see what they used. And they used this uh, coconut uh, milk and we're like this is great awesome okay found a nice coconut milk because we try to stay away from things like soy because i've talked about in the past the isoflavins and like it just essentially triggers the immune response again and really not good um so we need to avoid that as much as possible um because those are isoflavonoids so we try to um stay away from that and coconut works well for us and because we're dairy free um so we found this thing we're like this is great awesome guess what the first ingredient was soy 
<laughs> it's like this is supposed to be coconut. I don't understand how that was legal that they could I, even I do, do that. I don't know how they can do that. And it just blows my mind that they can advertise something as coconut milk when it's really soy milk with a little bit of coconut in it. They must have had complaints because we literally looked at the ingredient yeah. list last weekend and it was finally switched. Yeah. But prior to that, and it was only by a couple of percentage that it was different. Yeah. But obviously that must have breached some type of law around what you can say it is for them to so. continue having it. It's just ridiculous. But this, these are the things you need to be aware of and how ridiculous packaging is and how it can advertise something that is so like amazing. It's like, you know, the super nutrient that's in it and that's like the smallest... Uh, ingredient on the list is like okay it's there but it's there but it's also not in a bioactive form as well and we can probably go into the active and bioactive kind of forms and stuff like that but it's getting into the complicated nature without really getting into the weeds there yeah, but, but some of these these health products basically use buzzword bingo yeah so as long as there's these buzzwords that people recognize as healthy even though it's actually just going to go right through you or it's not actually going to be mm. valuable at all for your body they'll still yep. use it because it's a marketing engine yeah um, so just getting curious, reading the labels, the kind of key principles I talk about when reading the label, like I mentioned earlier, is if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. If your grandparents don't eat it, don't eat it. Generally speaking, if it's more than five ingredients and you can't pronounce them, <laughs> it's too many ingredients, it's processed, right? So those three things, if you can really focus on ingredients lists that are less than five, unless there's like absolute whole foods, um, and yeah. Stay away. Yeah. And depending, like we haven't touched on even for ourselves that we're gluten and dairy free because for us that creates an immune response. Not only in the fact that both of us have the gluten intolerance predisposition genetically, but also we find from a symptomology that we both react yeah. with, with dairy sort of ingredients. And so for us, when we have one of those things, we will have an immune response or an inflammatory response. And so now it's about how do you observe how your body feels um, when when you get into that place or when you notice, oh, yeah, I'm actually having a really hard time breathing through my nostrils or one nostril. Is that clear sometimes more than others? Does it seem to get all congested? Do you feel a throat constriction when you eat certain foods? Like the stuff, again, is free if you're sort of plugging yourself back into your body are you able to assess when your body shifts in its response to the food, which might be, of course, creating an immune response that's also related to inflammation? Or perhaps when you were in Europe a couple of years ago, you identified that, you know, like I was, I was, I was fine. Like I had none of these issues. Why is that? Oh, because generally speaking in Europe, they're not using the processed natures of glutens and A1 milk that we use over here. They're actually using the more whole food uh, foods that we've been evolved with. Mm. So like it's, it's asking these questions as well. And um, did you feel better there than you are here? Maybe some signs there too. Yeah. And what's been crazy is, for example, my mom when she would be over at the the beach house, so we have a small beach house uh, as a part of the, the family, and her congestion would often clear up. So she has a lot of sinus issues. And then when she'd go back home, she'd have issues again. And then here in lies, she went investigating and she found a whole bunch of black mold hmm. on her curtains that just didn't, they, that weren't, you know, didn't exist in the, in the beach house. And so again, just being really observant and curious about when some of the symptoms raise their, their heads or raise a flag and when they don't. And then, you know, be the detective. Okay. What could it be? What could be exacerbating these issues? Yep.
So yeah, then there's brain fog, which is something we haven't actually talked about yet, but it's again another really key sign of inflammation. Whether you, like me, had a head knock or not, you got the brain fog from that, because that, again, is inflammation response, right? That's a more kind of acute kind of inflammation, but there is that chronic inflammation where if we're having things that don't agree with our body, that create inflammation. Quite often times, this is through uh, foods that we're eating. You know, there's this thing known as grain brain. So if you're having a lot of grains, it's known to impact your brain function, give you brain fog. Uh, and that's why a lot of us aren't thinking as clearly as we once were because we're just eating the wrong foods for our body and our body is responding in a negative way through brain fog. So again, are you having the symptom of brain fog? Where is that happening? What What is causing that? Is it a lifestyle factor? Is it a nutritional factor? Just again, curiosity. Mm. And I think it would be remiss of us not to raise a fairly controversial topic around inflammation and chronic stress. So if you feel like your lifestyle stresses are in check. For example, you you know you've maybe you've made sure that you take the weekends off, or you reduce your load, or you're you know make sure you've got good sleep, and you're still experiencing chronic fatigue, or um, maybe you've got arthritis, or you, you just generally have aches and pains or things going on. We we have a lot of people, and we've ourselves explored a high nutrient dense eating regime, which is popularized somewhat as the carnivore diet or the carnivore code um, by Dr. Paul Saladino. And what's been fascinating is our own experimentation of eating a pure nose to tail type of nutrition style for up to a month. Uh, we do it every year, every June or July, we, we do this where again, it's a high nutrient dense elimination diet. And in those situations, we get to experience a degree of optimal health because uh, in this particular eating style, you're reducing pro-inflammatory foods. You're ensuring you've got enough nutrients for your body to function with the caveat that it must be nose to tail. So you're having the liver, the heart, the kidneys, the testicles, whatever it might be, but you're getting all your nutrients from the whole animal. And I think that gave me especially, but I know you too, the biggest aha moment of what it's like to feel great and to not be inflamed. And that's why we get actually a lot of people emailing us because they've come across your carnivore diet blog and they've said, look, I've read about this. I've even tried it for a few weeks and I'm finally getting relief of my symptoms. And they're just wanting help and guidance on how to do this more mid to long term and how to implement this into a more animal based diet rather than the, the more sort of restricted uh, short-term elimination eating that the carnivore, pure carnivore diet is. Yeah, and this is one of those kind of, again, free lifestyle strategies in which you can implement to really, if you're really struggling with autoimmune issues and you've tried everything and nothing's working, this is a great opportunity just to have that elimination of all those toxins because what we often, as we're so indoctrinated with how important vegetables are with all the nutrients which yeah they've got nutrients but a lot of them aren't bially available and a lot of them also come with a lot of plant toxins as well and i'm not saying that you need to remove plants from your life completely but it's just about understanding the nature of them and what's responding to you and what you can work with and what you can't work with and sometimes the best way to do that is to not just you know try one after the other is like just eliminate everything and reintroduce and figure out what works for you what doesn't work for you and 
like, you know, I, the reason I started the carnivore diet, like I think my first time was about four, maybe five, four years ago. Um, it was, I was so controversial at the time and I was just like, and it's still controversial to an extent, but it's becoming a bit more popularized now. But when I first did it, I was just, I was curious. I was like, <laughs> I can't see this working, but as for everything, I need to test out for myself. So I understand what is going on and understand what works and what doesn't work and things that need to be aware of so I can help guide people to making better health decisions. And at the time I thought this was a bad health decision and I went down that rabbit hole. And again, we'll do a whole podcast on this at some point. I'm sure of it. But I went down that rabbit hole and yeah, for me, and if it was inflammation as an issue, I just curbed it. Mm. I just felt so balanced. My gut was settled. Uh, energy levels just shot through the roof. You know, no afternoon crash. Because uh, again, that is a, this is another symptom we haven't talked about is that kind of afternoon crash, uh, the mid-afternoon crash at around 3 p.m. time that often people will crash. Um, nothing. I was just charged and just mental clarity. It was beautiful. And satiated is the key thing. Like you're just not hungry because you're having food that satiates you. Well, you have to make sure you track your calories because it's so easy to go under dramatically because you're so sated around the food you're eating that you don't eat enough calories. Well, that depends on your goals and what you're trying to achieve with the diet. But yeah, absolutely. Um, For us, where stress is a key thing for us, we didn't want to put any more strain on our body by being at a calorie deficit. Um, but again, it depends on the individual to how you kind of need to go about that. But it is hard to get enough calories in for sure um, because it is so satiating because it's just proteins and fat. It's just no carbs. So you're putting into itself into a deep state of ketosis. It's essentially like doing a month-long fast because your body is – but it's full, which is the best thing of it. You're, like, you're full, but you're in a month-long fast. So you get all the, uh, many of the benefits of fasting with – a satiated belly. It's mm. pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the concept goes and you know, flies in the face of what we are all taught that nutrition really is. And I know for us, I, mean, I said to you that if, if this was a consistent thing, that for us as a relationship, it was a deal breaker yeah. because I could not comprehend being with someone that ate just meat, eggs, salt, like just could not even imagine that that was a healthy approach to, to nutrition. And the following year, I decided I read the book and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a bit of a skeptic to be, to be frank. So I read the book. I was looking at a lot of the journal articles that were being referenced. I was reflecting upon my own journey with, with chronic acne and, and other, you know, ongoing conditions like brain fog and lack of energy. And so I tried it that year and I could not believe it. Within a week, within sort of 15 days, I started to feel like this is what optimal health might feel like. And my skin just cleared up. Like, I don't think every year, this is our third year we're doing it together for a month together. And so I'm actually really looking forward to like my skin gets into this incredible condition by that, you know, sort of by the third, third week that I'm like, should I do this for longer? (laughs) Because you know, it's just the, the the reduction in inflammation is next level and how you feel is next level. And so I suppose that might be something that someone would like to investigate, yeah. particularly if they think that they've got that horrible kind of inflammation cascade, that program on repeat, that they just feel like they're they're constantly fatigued, they're constantly having issues with, with their joints, so they feel like they've got this inflammation cycling going on. 
I, you know, we encourage you to read the book, Dr. Paul Saladino, The Carnivore Code. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and we're here to answer questions. I think the key thing is, though, is what we got feedback from clients who did actually reach out to us and, and we worked with, is that a lot of the forums don't promote nose to tail. And that is the key. Like, if you've got someone preaching to you that it's just steak hmm. and, and maybe eggs, that's wrong, blatantly wrong. It is the whole beast. Yep. And while we couldn't palate liver and brain and ovaries and testicles, we... Which we tried. We, 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 did, we tried to be good. <laughs> we, we ended up going with freeze-dried options from Homegrown Primal, which is a, a New Zealand company, but there's lots of other companies that do high-quality, dehydrated, nose-to-tail mm. you know, organ supplements. Uh, and so that's how we end up getting the, the whole nutrients because... A lot of the, the the expectations that you're not going to get all of your vitamins from from animal sources is absolutely false. It's it's what organ you can get it from, and of course those are often way more bioavailable than any type of vegetable you can put in your mouth. And then if we look at the evolutionary as well, you know, the liver it was the pride thing that you know it's a prized organ, the prized organ that everyone would want. You know, it's like yeah, that's what had all the nutrition and you know for the most part they'll throw away the muscle meat that we just know and love and they'll prioritize the liver because it is so nutrient dense and yeah it is a powerhouse when we're looking at you know like what it has inside it it is it's amazing mm. and we need more of it in our lives yeah um, so that's just another idea that's free I and mean, you have to eat anyway hmm. uh, obviously the cost of the book we do recommend you read it because it's all about bio curiosity it's about hmm. improving your knowledge set and how this might work for you as an experiment a safe experiment yeah and but, if you're a bit worried make sure you go see your doctor first get your bloods if you need to but we encourage you to be empowered to make these these choices to experiment safely yeah and like just on that as well as you know it's, it's a paradigm shift and much like when we went to the doctors, they were not happy about it. They did I not agree with it. I rejected that so avidly. Yeah. yeah. And, but again, it's your body, your choice. Um, so, you know, we would, it's, you know, how, it's just eating food for a month. You know, it's, it's not going to, you got to be very smart about how you do it, but, and do, do see a doctor. Like we're not your medical professionals. You've got special conditions, yeah. you know, that you need to just verify. We're, we're healthy adults. Yeah. And we've we've read up on it. We've we've been seeing our doctor. We've mm. got a fairly progressive doctor that we work with. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, just arm yourself with information and then make you know informed decisions. And just be pragmatic as well. And what I love about this whole approach is, you know, it's 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 a growing approach, right? So, yes, we're primarily we do the carnival every year, but for the majority of our life, we're actually animal based now. So, we've integrated that. A lot of the tools and strategies from that to be a bit more balanced in our approach. So, being animal based is we primarily eat animal um, based food um, with fruit. Uh, so, we get our carbohydrates through fruit and honey. Um, and honey. And mm. so, there's really nice, delicious, it's a really delicious and nutrient dense diet. Um, but don't get us wrong, we still have vegetables, we still have other things, and we, we enjoy life. Uh, but we just make sure when we're having those things, we prepare them and have them in the right setting environment. Sounds good. Okay, so let's bring it back to the topic of this particular podcast, which generally is, is chronic fatigue, but then it has implications for stress and inflammation. And let's talk about 
where this all, all stems, I mean, at the end of the day, what's innovating this entire response? Yeah, so like again, we have a slow and a quick response in our body, right? So a quick response to the nervous system, which we haven't spoken too much about, but you know, it's the, the quick wiring of our body and giving us those kind of instant responses and dysregulating things and regulating things. So it's always about this balance of regulation, dysregulation, and we obviously want to be fine-tuning that system to get it working as we should. And we, we talked about the nervous system to some extent in the last episode where we talked about the autonomic nervous system and the um, parasympathetic and the sympathetic, the fight and flight, uh, which is the um, sympathetic, and then the rest and digest, which is that parasympathetic. Which we're oversimplifying oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, for the very, sake of this podcast, but yeah. gives you a sense of how your body navigates stress or rest. Yeah, but obviously if we have that dysregulation and we're spending too much time in that stress state, we need to really balance it out because if we left that unchecked, it's extremely toxic and can be very damaging to a system. And so for those who want to learn more about it and how stress uh, is exacerbated by our decisions, but equally how we can navigate stress, they can go back to the stress episode, which again has some really powerful practical ways to help navigate that, which brings us back to how do we navigate inflammation and chronic fatigue. So as I mentioned earlier, I feel like the first place to start is managing the stress. Uh, and you mentioned it's the navigation of the trigger and the response. So widening the gap so you make a better decision around the things that are stressing you or the things that are triggering you to, to create action. Uh, what I want to talk about and lead into is how long it takes to wind down that stress, to wind down that inflammation and therefore to try to get out the other side of chronic fatigue. Yeah, and this is where it depends on where you are on the bell curve, right? And how big your stress stack is and how burnt out you have become. So, yeah, there's no one time frame because it also depends on how much you're going to commit to this as well. Like, are you in a space in which you can just take a couple months off? Because you could be that burnt out, you just need a couple months off of full disconnect time. Or uh, is it going to be, you know, while working because you can't take the time off work, so it's going to be just trying to navigate your life in through uh, working and living with family and you know all the other stresses so it's like how do you navigate that in a a fashion where you can't take that full time off and that would be just creating structure around your day something as simple as setting your timer for lunchtime and you need to go outside like we discussed in the in the stress episode you go outside perhaps you, you kick your, your shoes off you go walk in the park you um you do some deep breathing but you actually take yourselves a, a, a take yourself away from the work environment and get out? Well, you do what I do every day. So obviously I'm recovering from a brain injury at the moment, which at the same time is very similar to these things because it's stress and inflammation is the thing I'm trying to bring down to get myself into a balanced state. So what I do is I do a meditation into a nap every day. Uh, which I know for most people sounds quite luxurious and it's great, but you know, it's something that I prioritize because I need to do it. I don't enjoy going for it. I want to be clear. Like, you know, it, it sounds great having a nap, but I don't want to have to stop and have that nap. I force myself to stop and have that nap because, or even just having my eyes shut because sometimes I don't get to sleep, but having those eyes shut is just as powerful as um, napping sometimes as we talked about in the sleep episode. So yeah, 
finding what works for you and, you know, really intervening, you know, for me, that's been extremely powerful and I'm seeing in my metrics for yeah. when, like when I don't do it, it's not good. But it's just trying to create that routine and that habit, that yeah. one thing you can start that if you can't take time off work, maybe just making sure you take a proper lunch break um, every day and go outside. Or it might even be you, you finish at five right? You finish at five and you leave work at work. You don't bring it home with you. You don't try to do it. Maybe that's how you start to kind of gain inroads on reducing that stress and inflammation. But Or airplane mode is the other thing as well. Like there's ways, strategies in which you can do. So once you do leave work, just to remove any temptation, turn the phone off, leave it in your car, put it on airplane mode, whatever it may be. Um, just to remove those distractions and allow you to just relax and let go. Yeah. So those are really simple things you could do to sort of create practical breaks in your day. Uh, like mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, making sure that you're not creating boundary creep around what you know you should or shouldn't be doing when it comes to protecting your health and recovery if you are kind of in that place of, of stress. Yeah. And at the end of the day, so we're talking about timeframes, right? So like I said, it's so variable. There's no one thing, but the key thing we need to note here is real health is slow health. And because we're only changing one thing at a time and it's creating that recovery stack on top to reduce that stress stack, right? So just don't beat yourself up. It's going to be a long slog. It's going to, it's going to be hard. Like life is not designed to be easy. If life was easy, you're not going anywhere that's worth going to. So challenging is good, but let's just balance out that challenge um, with some recovery and get ourselves into a really good place. Yeah. And the way to understand the biggest return is to go back to to that assessment, that self-assessment of the mindset, lifestyle, nutrition, movement, and in the subcategories of stress and say, what is the biggest stressor of my life? And can I take a break from that for a short while too? Because again, if you can tackle the biggest stress, then that'll have the biggest impact on how long it'll take to get yourself out of that place and hopefully to, to quieten your immune system, quieten then the inflammation and then start to improve your overall sense of wellness and alertness to overcome that fatigue. So yeah, absolutely. So for you, once you've done that, what is your one thing? So obviously we would do the assessment first, find a thing, but what do you think is the one thing that for the majority of people out there, they could implement right now to make the most significant change in their lives? I'm going to repeat what we've already repeated. It's like you just need to, to diffuse the triggering of your body. And the best way to do that is through breath and at the same time, actually creating space to observe. Because I've found, you know, without their entire journey of to, to de-stress my system, giving myself that space, that meditation to focus on my breath, to focus on the now, to eject from the, the depression of the past and the anxiety of the future and actually just get really present and having the tools to try to diffuse that nervous system that has made the biggest inroads for me to be able to manage my stress. And because I'm managing my stress, I'm reducing my inflammation. Because I'm managing my stress, I can sleep better, which again, further reduces the inflammation. And then and then I can start to feel better. Yeah. And I, I 100% agree with you. And if I was, just for what, I'll say one other thing. Mm -hmm. So like just a low hanging fruit that I've kind of mentioned a couple of times throughout here. 
And because, like, first and foremost, I think you nailed it on the head. I think that is what it should be, is the one thing that everyone focuses on is managing their stress levels because that's at the bottom of the cliff, right, before you start to go up. But from a day-to-day perspective of something you can just change for the better, which I think everyone needs to, that just it's not part of the conversation, which just blows my mind. You know, it's always about sugar and when we're talking about nutrition, you know, it's always about sugar and fat and, but nobody's talking about the poofers. <laughs> so I want to bring people's attention back to the poofers. So for my one thing is going to be reduce as poofers as much as possible. So those polyunsaturated fats, fatty acids, uh, those canolas, those sunflowers, those vegetable seed oils. Again, we'll have a list in the show notes. And again, how we reduce that is by reducing processed foods, going to more whole foods, and yeah, just reading the back of the labels. Get curious. Uh, Like, what is in your food that you're eating? Is it a laundry list of things? Is there a whole bunch of numbers? Can you pronounce it? Did your grandparents eat it? Like, but at the end of the day, if I was to say one thing, it's not just reading the labels, it's reducing poofers. Yeah. Um, And this is another reason to mention in here, which I hadn't mentioned earlier, which I probably should have, is restaurant food. Shocking for it. Yeah. Because it's cheap. It is cheap. Yeah. And it's so sad because I think even though it's such an obvious thing once you're looking for it, for the most part, we're blind to it because we're just looking for fast food, convenience food, things that, you know, can help us fuel our day. But the reality is, is actually, it's actually killing us slowly Hmm. through all that inflammation. In addition to our lifestyle choices, in addition to the things that we do every day to, to creep our boundaries of, of what's actually eroding our health and our energy. Um, but that's the underlying killer. Yeah. And like, we'll go into more details with the poofers. Like there's definitely going to be something I want to tap into that would have more to because, you know, insulin resistance is a result of excess poofers, you know? So like, but again, we're going to gonna park that there uh, because we will address that at some point. And I want to just kind of, obviously insulin resistance is going to lead to inflammation as well. So we could potentially go into it now, but I think, yeah, it would be a whole podcast in itself talking about that. But end of the day, reduce poofers, over sugar like if you're going to look at if you're picking one of the two because often people will go no sugar which is a great thing and I'm, I'm always stoked when people do it because generally by nature they remove processed foods but oftentimes they're still getting those poofers in um so yeah prioritize that over the sugar and i think you'd be in a much better place hmm. uh is it bad that every single time you say poofer the little like eight-year-old in, my, in myself wants to giggle <laughs> it's such a <laughs> An acronym. Every time I I hear it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, Rachel. It's that whole. It's the whole like. <laughs> you just said poo. <laughs> you can't take the little child out of anybody when it comes to language and things yeah. like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today and having this chat. And hopefully. Again, in the informal title of this podcast, what we wish our loved ones understood and did. Hopefully, um, our listeners and watchers learned a little bit more about themselves today and feel empowered to become more biocurious and and actually look at the labels and yeah, try to try to be the change they need to be to become who they were born to be. And because this is to our loved ones, prevent them from getting the chronic diseases that are associated with inflammation. Yeah, exactly. So. Cool. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As our podcast progresses, we'll keep digging deeper into powerful themes of health and wellness. 
including client case studies and how we've used advanced science and not so common sense to help them live a life more extraordinary. If you feel this information has been helpful, please like, share, follow and subscribe to get notified of new episode drops and to support our mission to make the path to vibrant well-being less lonely and confusing.